Hello, Red Shirts, and welcome to another episode of Follow Me and Die. I'm your host, Larry Hamilton, and today I want to talk about this past Sunday's session of my AD&D campaign. The party finally had arrived in Haven on the session before, which is the capital of the lands of the Seven Jarls, and then last week only three of seven players showed up. It's a sizable town, so there was plenty of stuff for three characters to do without dragging the whole party along in furtherance of their ultimate goals. And I must say, in some ways, it was one of the better and more enjoyable sessions we've had, as it was all roleplay. Now, before I continue, I don't have any call-ins to share, but I do want to thank Mark Clover for mentioning my blog post titled How I Run AD&D on his podcast. So go check out The OK Grognard Show. I have a link in the show notes. There is remarkable focus and clarity that comes with a smaller number of players, especially when the players tend to be the sort that like to get things done. And that was the combination of players I had this last week. Uh, It was two magic users and our gnome thief illusionist. And as they got off the docks, the two captains, Kagnar and Kolgar, let the party know that they had to take stock the ambassador from the Red Lizard Folk to meet the High Jarl, and so they'd introduce the party to the High Jarl another day. Easy hand wave way to deal with not everybody being there. But before they left, the captains let the party know that they can either sleep on one of the three ships, especially the one that they own, or they could visit the tavern for foreigners called the Golden Horn. They make arrangements for the captain of the party ship to sell the cargo they brought along and incentivized him if he can get more than what they hope they can sell it for, that he gets a bonus. And then as the gnome steps off the ship, this young boy comes running up and offers him a written message from some friends that aren't happy with him in exchange for a gold coin. The kid's off like a shot once he's got the gold coin and left the note in the gnome's hands and He has this strange feeling that the note is something to do with the ivory plaques that he drew that gave him a feeling that others were after his wealth. Well, he's right about that. And he's wondering, is it the merchant he relieved of several gems back in Farthorpe before they headed west across the sands? So he's looking for this merchant. He's got plans. So he stops by a shop and buys a big iron chest and buys a small wooden chest. And then he makes a big deal of carrying this... uh, wooden chest and telling everybody it's got uh, $10,000 worth of, or 10,000 gold pieces worth of gems in it because uh, he owes somebody and all this, that, and the other. So it was hilarious. And they had all these plans to keep an eye on that chest and then jump whoever comes for the chest. The two magic users and the thief do some other shopping stuff. They find an obelisk in town that, again, talks about the Temple of Binding when they're on the sides of it furthest from the Temple of Binding. And it talks about the uh, necromancer when they're on their side of the obelisk that is furthest from where the necromancer's city was. And then they decide to finally go to the Golden Horn. So the gnome buys a room for two nights for the three of them, and then they go check out the room. And while they're there, the gnome has his wealth in his saddlebags, and he puts it in his iron chest and locks it, and then gives to the magic user that owns the portable hole, and he puts it in the portable hole. So now his wealth is safe because the magic user's carrying it. Oh, yes, and the magic user had a great idea. Get something like a screw cap 
scroll case, but smaller so that he can fit the portable hole into it and keep it safe. So he really doesn't want to lose that thing, which is great. The gnome takes the sandworm teeth from the two sandworms they run into and puts it in the wooden chest. And then they go back downstairs and he's carrying the wooden chest under his arm. And he makes a point of using his cloak to hide when he gets out of sight of everybody. And then he sneaks over to the table and puts the small wooden chest on the table. But nobody notices because one of the magic users buys a round for the house of ale and then a bottle of whiskey. And he stands up and says, a prize, a bottle of whiskey for the best tale. And that was hilarious because I had no idea how their guys were going to get this information. But that was perfect to get the information they needed. I left out one little bit. There was this very loud drunk at one table that looked terrible. His clothes were tattered. He was filthy. He was smelly. And he was drinking to forget something. So this guy stands up and says, nobody's seen what I've seen. And the magic user says, yeah, yeah, sit down. Let's give everybody else a chance. So he says, all right. <laughs> I came up with a couple quick things off the top of my head. Uh, one a farmer stood up and said, I once met an honest fisherman. And another one stood up and said, uh, my wife once told me I was right. And then the last one was tales about the necromancer. And a lot of people were razzing the guy on because they said, oh, yeah, everybody knows that's just tales to scare children. And well, then they get to the disheveled drunk in the corner and they find out that his twin sister is the fallen paladin that faced the great monstrosity and saved Farthorpe. And that he fled west once his sister was gone after was chased by undead. But there were fewer undead going off into the broken lands than there were going towards the populated areas of the valley around Farthorpe. It's funny how they were all speculating they didn't believe he really walked across the sands. And I'm like, yeah, it's possible. He's got plot armor. He's the DM's NPC. He can do whatever I need him to do to get him where he needs to be. So the story advances. He can die now, which would be a bad thing, but they've realized who he is. Well, not quite. They, they have a pretty good idea, but confirmation comes soon. The magic user gives him the bottle and he starts swigging from it. And But the magic user says, well, you can either live at the bottom of this bottle where you won't find your sister, or you can come with us and maybe we can rescue your sister. She might not be dead. Well, that gets his attention because they don't know if she's dead. She disappeared in a flash of light with the beast. So who knows? The magic user leaves and goes back to the table the three characters are at. The guy pushes the bottle away, gathers up his gear, goes plops down at their table, and basically sounds interested in what he was saying. And so the guy orders him some food and some water and says, okay, if you show up at our ship, the Sandwich, tomorrow at noon, bathed and sober and ready to go, we'll take you with us. He gave him a coin for a uh, room. Little did he realize he didn't need the coin because he had a bag of gems that he'd liberated from the Temple of Binding when they before they had their trouble that led to the disappearance of his sister. He already had a room. The two magic users gets up and leaves, and the gnome is hiding in a corner with his cloak, obscuring him, keeping an eye on the chest. Well, the other two leave. The guy finishes his stew, looks around, doesn't see anybody, and shrugs his shoulders and picks up the chest and takes it with him. So the gnome's like, oh, crap. So he's got to follow the guy up the stairs, and the guy undresses and puts his stuff on the corner and sets the chest down. And as he's getting undressed and down to his skivvies, the gnome notices he's got this uh, birthmark that looks like a balance, a scales, 
which is the symbol of the Justice Maker, and that's a deity I stole from my brother's campaign that charged one of the players who's now an NPC to restore the Temple of Binding. The gnome knows this guy's the real deal, so he gets the chest and tries to go out the window, but I rolled and the window is stuck, and this gnome is puny, so he, he rolled a six on a percentile die and needed a one. So he, I said, okay, so it slides, but then it goes crooked and it jams. And if you've ever tried to open an old window, you know what I'm talking about. So he's stuck. So he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go out and pick the lock locked. Well, he couldn't pick the lock locked. <laughs> oh, so then he goes back into the room, gets the key, locks the door, and then shoves the key under the door. And he takes the chest with him, goes back to the ship. And that was basically the next day, the same magic user talks to the barkeep and asks if there's any wizards that frequent the bar. And he says, well, there's old Gorm. And said, his powers may be exaggerated. I've never seen anything myself. He used to come here. Oh, what was his favorite drink? And says, oh, this old spice ale that's not very common with the younger crowd. And he says, well, how many bottles you got? I'll just buy out your stock. Oh, great. I can't sell it. So he sells his last 10 or 12 bottles of this spice ale. And this is all spur of the moment stuff. I'm just throwing it out there. This wizard didn't exist until then. So, well, he sort of did, but I didn't have all the details. It started to come together when the players went that direction. You know, there's always little snippets of ideas, so you're ready to go with it, but everything becomes fleshed out once uh, the players go a certain direction. So they go to Old Gorm and they knock, no answer. Then they kick on the door and he comes out, go away. Old Gorm's not seeing anybody and says, oh, but we have a gift, your favorite ale. And he says, well, why didn't you say so? Come on in. The door swings open and they go in and set it down. And he comes creaking down the stairs and he can't open a bottle. So one of them opens the bottle and he starts drinking it and loves it. And he's got some sort of invisible something that pulls out his chair for him and holds up his staff when his hands are full and goes rummaging in papers and so forth when he needs it. They mention that they're going to go deal with the son of the necromancer. He revealed to them that he knew... The previous child of the necromancer which it alternates every generation so he's like ah the old witch finally died <laughs> ask if he's got uh, anything that could help them and he says oh i've got a map and this map i put together and part of it they could have bought a map that had the map stuff on it but then he had a version that had some ancient writing on it well that when the players role play goes in the right direction they stumble into things that they may not have discovered otherwise because it was no guarantee they were going to discover this guy because I pointed him out and they were kind of like ignoring him. And then they just happened to pick going to the wizard with the map. They make a deal that if they can buy 10,000 gold pieces worth of potions and scrolls and other magic that they'll get the map for free. Well, what's funny is I randomly determined what he had for potions and scrolls and it wasn't 10,000 gold pieces worth. So they still had to come up with like another 2,600 gold pieces to reach 10,000. And so when they, the wizard decided he trusted him to see his portable hole. So he pulls out the portable hole to get the money. And old Gorm's like, <laughs> if you'd have showed me that to begin with, I'd have just given you the map. That's pretty impressive. I haven't seen one of those since, since, well, a long time. They get the map and the map has some ancient writing that mentions both the necromancer and the temple of binding one of the the other wizard can read that language so uh, that was time well spent and that's basically what they did they found 
the sibling of the fallen paladin, who maybe the fallen paladin's not dead, but something about this sibling, they can maybe speak the words of binding to renew the binding, maybe get his sister back. But first they need to deal with the son of the necromancer so he doesn't go and wake up the necromancer because they've got the necromancer sealed up where he can't get out by himself. But if his minions show up, they might get him out of there. That's where we left it. The other players are going to be sad they missed out on all the fun. But I do session summaries, and I did an article just released today about session summaries, so I'll link that in the show notes as well. I just wanted to get this out real quick, because it's going to be Sunday before I know it. I really like those sessions where you get that pure role play, and the creativity of the players challenges the GM. So for the player that did the challenge for a whiskey, I gave him 500 experience points, because that amused me so much and was such a creative idea, and it forced me to think on my feet. And it it was a good thing. I, I love that sort of stuff. And you don't need combat to have that kind of fun. I'm sure there'll be plenty of combat next session when everybody else is back because they always somehow to make a fight out of everything. That's what's going on in my campaign. I'm feeling pretty good today. I've also been updating my new men's health blog on a daily basis. It's two days behind real time. Today's article, if you want to see how long how much of a catheter is inside the body. I've got a picture of it after it's been extracted. So if you want to see it, check out the blog. If you're grossed out by stuff like that, I don't care if you... Go ahead, don't see it. Not a problem. I understand it. Some people get grossed out by that stuff. I used to be an EMT, so most things don't gross me out too bad. That's all for today. Thank you all for listening. I hope you're getting along well in this COVID-19 world. And as always, game on.